We're back to the O'Haley Show, and I first want to welcome my co-host, David Hollenbeck of Hollenbeck Leadership. David, how are you? I know you're excited about our guest, and we have a Hall Hall of Fame podcaster. You never know who we end up meeting uh, through these experiences. How are you, David? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, this this is going to be great. I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. So we have Gary Leland on the show, I, and I, you know, you're the Bitcoin guy, but also. A podcast Hall of Famer. So I'm going to jump right onto that because I'm the podcast guy, right? I've done nine, I've almost ten thousand podcasts since when I first started oh, fourteen plus years ago. And I think you and I have been in the business about the same amount of time when it comes to podcasting. Isn't that true, Gary? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, 2004. Um, I think 2004. Oh whatever wow! Year, whatever year it started, I was like, nineteen. One of the first so you didn't before. You were right when the Apple. Start. I mean, it was it was. No, Apple iTunes. didn't have podcasting yet. They didn't oh have my god! Podcasting yeah. on the iPod. Wow. I had the, I had the first. Um, well, maybe not the first. Maybe it was the second. But I had the first podcast directory before Apple did. Way before Apple did. So if you oh, wanted wow. a podcast, you either came to my website or a website called Podcast Alley, and you hook up your iPod to it, wait overnight, and it would uh, download your podcast for this for the next day. Yeah, Podcast Alley was around even past that time, right? Is one of the places to go how long did you have podcast alley for gary well i had podcast pickle podcast alley was the other one i ran podcast pickle oh, okay. um, it was around from 2004 to maybe 2010 2006 time magazine listed it as one of the 50 coolest websites in the world so that was um that was kind of cool at the time and how why did you decide right at the bitcoin time you decided to do a podcast is that pretty much what your idea was no. for I, I started, I helped start a, a conference called Podcast Movement. I was one of the four founders of that conference, and I sold my part of that conference um, after maybe like in 2017. I sold my part of that conference, and I was kind of used to doing conferences, and I got into Bitcoin, and I was doing Bitcoin podcasts at the time. As soon as I got in, that was the first thing I started doing was podcasts. I always found podcasts were a good thing to do to learn stuff. You know, I could get almost anyone in the world I wanted to come on my show and I could ask them one-on-one the questions I needed to know to educate myself. So I started immediately, probably I was in Bitcoin about two weeks. I started a podcast about Bitcoin so I could get people on my show. And I started making uh, high-level friends in Bitcoins. And I guess within six months, I started a conference. Um, so I started a Bitbot Boom conference from that point on. So it just is a natural migration. I kind of get bored with doing stuff and I move on to something else. I felt like I had kind of completed podcasting. So it was time to move on to something else. But you still do podcasting, right, Gary? I still do it. Yeah, but it's about a different subject. And it's not, my podcasts were about podcasting because I had a podcast conference and a podcast directory. And so my stuff was really more about podcasting, you know. So I still, I probably do podcasts till I die. Uh, but um, who knows? I mean, moving once Bitcoin reaches five hundred thousand dollars, I'll probably quit doing Bitcoin podcasts and move into something else. Who knows? Exactly. Go ahead, David. A question, especially with podcasting, because David's done his podcast for about a year. But kind of ask ask a guru. He's definitely a guru when it comes to podcasts. Yeah. No, I um I, I started my podcast in two thousand twenty, and. Scrolling from there, Neil, you've helped me a lot in growing the the audience with that. But for my question is more about the the Bitcoin conference. You said the Bit Block Boom 
What exactly is a Bitcoin conference? It's where um, it's like a podcast conference. Instead of getting together and talking about podcasting, you get together and talk about Bitcoin. And you yes. bring in speakers. Top names. Yeah, yeah. I bring in the top names. I'm probably one of the top, I would say, top four conferences on the, the planet. Many people say one of the top two. I got the longest running Bitcoin conference now. Um, but uh, yeah, we bring people in. You know, you know here's, here's the real deal. If you're a Bitcoiner, you're one of like 3% of the population, you know, because this is early. This is like podcasting was in 2004. This is really early. Now, everybody knows what a podcast is. Everybody listens to a podcast. But in 2004, nobody knew what a podcast was. You could stand on a corner and ask a thousand people going by and no one would know. And I know because I did that one day. I asked a hundred people and one person said, I know what it is. I said, really? What is it? He goes, it's for fishing. It's pod that you cast it. It's for fishing. And I said, well, nobody knows what it is. But now <laughs> everybody does. And that's where Bitcoin's at right now. So if you're someone who lives in, I'm just going to say, Pierre, South Dakota, and you are a Bitcoiner, you probably don't know anyone in your city that's a Bitcoiner that you can talk to. You have some friends online, you maybe listen to, get on some spaces on Twitter, but you physically can't talk to anyone. And especially if you're an early Bitcoiner, like many of my people are, I have like the early Bitcoiners at mine um, because I have a high level conference. And so if you're someone who has let's say 100 Bitcoins, you probably don't know anyone in the whole state that you can network with that has the understanding of what Bitcoin is at your level. So they like to come to my conference because now you've got 500 people who are all like you and it's all your peers. And you can sit there and talk to them about Bitcoin and they know exactly what you're talking about. And many of them will have more Bitcoin than you. Some will have less, but they all have the same camaraderie. And that's what Bitcoin, Bitblock Boom is. It's for people who want to get together. And it can finally... You know, and now after this is our seventh year, it's like a family reunion, so to speak. Many people go, I don't know what I'm doing next year, but they've already, we've already sold 20% of our tickets and they ha- just went on sale to the public today. You know, so people want to go. They know they're going to go. They know that's the one thing they're doing next year, unless they have a wedding they can't get out of for the kid or a birth or something. You know, so that that's what, that's what a Bitcoin conference is. Now, do you focus primarily on bitcoin or do you uh discuss uh different cryptocurrencies no i only believe in bitcoin my people only believe in bitcoin the rest of them are shit coins i feel comfortable saying that as it was said in congress um that everything that congressman in a, in a congress hearing they said there's bitcoin and shit coins so i feel comfortable saying that but anything besides bitcoin is a shit coin and will go to zero eventually you're not allowed to talk about shit coins in my event you're not allowed to do anything but bitcoin and that's why my people like it because they don't have to go there and hear about all this stuff that they have no interest in i mean there's only twenty five thousand cryptocurrencies i mean oh my gosh you really think there's that many that can have a value and hold their value it's impossible but bitcoin will and that's what they like about my conferences they don't have to hear about all those temporary coins that's fantastic. That's see, that's great stuff, Gary. Because I, I, it's all intriguing. I think the opportunity you're probably going to move forward is Web 3.0. This is the beginning of Web 3.0. You know, when you talk about blockchain and what's happening, with- I don't care. I don't care about blockchain. Blockchain is only good for one thing: Bitcoin. I mean, that's all it's good for. It's not good. For, I don't need to have my Chiquita bananas on the blockchain to know where they came from. No one's trying to hack into a computer and change the date on bananas. You know, I don't need. 
99% of the things that uh, blockchain is being used for can be done with a simple database. You don't need a blockchain. And if you're running the whole blockchain, you can change it anytime you want, like a database. So it makes no sense at all. A blockchain like the Bitcoin blockchain is the biggest computing network in the world. Millions of computers. No one can go in and change. You'd have to change 500,001 computers data to change the blockchain. Right. But if I'm running something on a blockchain in my office or at my corporate headquarters, anyone can go into the blockchain and change it. So I'm not a believer, and you're not even allowed to discuss blockchain at my event. It's a Bitcoin event, not a blockchain event. Okay, interesting. Okay, good, David. Uh, I, so why is it that Bitcoin doesn't have the same volatility, the same volatility as as the shitcoin? Well, it does have volatility. It's they're all volatile, but Bitcoin is, as I said earlier, is the largest computing network on the planet. So there are a lot of people running it. As far as the, the thing that is more concerning is Bitcoin going down or Bitcoin becoming zero value or Bitcoin being hacked or Bitcoin having the funds stole by the uh, management or president of the company. That can't happen. There is no headquarters for Bitcoin. It just doesn't exist. There is nobody for the government to go to and say, hey, shut this down. There's nowhere to go. They can go all over the planet and they're not going to find any office that they can do that at. Where the other ones there is. So the other things can be shut down. There's no main hacking point for Bitcoin. Bitcoin has never been hacked in 12 years. Now, exchanges have been hacked and people's wallets have been hacked, but Bitcoin has never been hacked ever, and it, it, it never will be. Um, so that's the thing. It's like um, oh, like Solano, uh, I think. I think it's like been hacked two times already in four years. Um, you know, then you have... Uh, like Ethereum. Ethereum used to be Ethereum. And then back in 2016, I think, someone lost 100,000 Ethereum, sent it to the wrong wallets. So Ethereum rolled back the blockchain. See, that shows they can do it. They just rolled it back. So that company got their 100,000 Ethereum back. And then that's why there's Ethereum Classic. Ethereum Classic is the original chain of Ethereum. It didn't roll back. But Ethereum, as we know it now, was rolled back so that guy could get his 100,000 Ethereum back. And I think uh, Charles Hoskinson from Cardano used to work there at the time. He was a coder for them, and he left when that happened. So um, a lot of people, when I say I only invest in Bitcoin and I only invest in Bitcoin, the natural answer people give me is, you don't even invest in Ethereum? Like it's some super-duper thing that can't be taken care of. Well, they've already screwed the pooch once. So to me... No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, Gary, where, best place people, like, when is your next conference? Our next conference is in April, April 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th in Dallas, Texas. Uh, actually, Addison, Texas, since you're familiar with the area. But that's when the halving happens. Uh, I think it's going to happen like the 17th or the 18th. That was the closest weekend we could get it. We could get for it. Now, the halving is every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's released to the public cuts in half. You know, when it first started, you got 50, 50 Bitcoin were released every 10 minutes. Four years later, 25, 12 and a half, we're at six and a quarter now, whatever. So then it'll be cut to three and an eighth Bitcoin will be released. So usually not immediately, but usually within six months after the happening, the demand for Bitcoin way outweighs the amount being uh, released into the world. So there's a giant price increase. That's what happened last year when it got, or two years ago when it got to 69,000. In 2017, that's what happened in, in 2000, they got to 20,000. 
So that that's what that's, progression is. That's great. Where okay, best place to find information on Gary. Where can people go? Uh, Gary, just search Gary Leland. I'm probably like top 20, 30, 40 picks and little things that come up. All um, right. GaryLeland.com. I spend all my time on Twitter. Gary Leland there. Gary Leland everywhere. Gary Leland right. Facebook. Well, all right. Congrats on all the success and continued success, Gary. Appreciate it, sir. Yeah. No problem. Nice talking right. to you guys. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, David Hollenbach of Hollenbach Leadership. David, how are you, man? And, you know, we just keep rolling with some amazing guests, don't we, David? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we do. Thanks for having me again. All right. And my guest today, somebody, I think that the biggest thing that, you know, business owners have a trouble is getting leads. And so my guest today is Paul Guyon, and he is the podcast host of the Lead Machine Growth Show. And he's an author, Amazon bestselling author and Lead Machine Coach Mastermind. How are you, sir? And uh, how did that all start finding leads? Was that the thing in business? How did you come up with that's your secret sauce to help people find leads? Well, I'm, that's a good question. Uh, I've been doing, I've been in, in the IT field for um, 40 plus years and working full time for other companies uh, for, for as a full time employee. Uh, and I was always the go to guy. Oh, by the way, I'm a musician and I've been putting on events since I was about 12 or 13. So I know a little bit about building an audience and putting on events. And so uh, it's kind of a natural thing. I've always been interested in marketing. Uh, and when I first got into computers, I uh, was hosting a uh, selling medical and dental office systems. And that's when I really got into uh, direct marketing and learning how to how to fill our pipeline. And my first my first sale was my mom and my dad's medical practice. And uh and so and so from there I said, wow, I can make a difference to this this business, their bottom line. We were building electronically back this is back in the eighties. We were building the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and we're 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 finding all kinds of money and contributing to the growth of the business. And I went Ah, that's my sweet spot. I need to help businesses harness technology to improve their operations with in, in marketing, their operations, and guess what? They all need leads. And so fast forward to, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I, I started coaching with uh, a partner. And he was, uh, we kind of, we had a mastermind group and I just, we just lit, we just lit up whenever we were helping people with their technology and with their marketing messages and things like that. And so uh, at one point though, we found that we weren't, we weren't serving the same master. And so we parted ways and I quit coaching for, for a while. And I said, you know what? I can do so many things. What can I do? And then through some coaching and some mentorship, I said, okay, Paul, you can do all these things. You can help people with their webs, webs and with their email marketing, with all these different things. What do entrepreneurs and coaches really need the most of? And that's, they need to get leads and they need to get them into their pipeline. Once they talk to people, they convert really well. And so they, they, those coaches though, they struggle with the technology and the operations part of it. So they don't know how to put a lead magnet together. They don't know how to put a, a landing page up. They don't know how to do the tech of the email follow-up. Uh, if if I can help them solve those 
problems and get the right mindset, uh, then they can get what they want, which is to get pe people into their pipeline. And then now that's why I started the podcast to teach them how to how to use the podcast to uh, to get eyeballs on their leads and to to get exposure for their brand. And so that's kind of that's kind of where I the real thumbnail sketch of of uh, where I came from. But, you know, I've always wanted to serve uh, serve people because both of my parents were doctors. And back in the 60s, uh, there were people that they were serving that that they couldn't afford medical care. And, uh, and so they would barter. In fact, our first, our ranger station, which is like the monkey bars on steroids. Uh, one of their patients made that for us, for the kids. Cause we had, I have four brothers and, and, and a sister. And so I learned early on that, Hey, through their generosity, that kind of lit me up too. And so being as an adult, I want to help people as many, as many people as I can and doing these kinds of things online with a podcast uh kind of accelerates that that's a long answer to a <laughs> I, like, I like the answer but go ahead david with your questions david always comes up with these thought-provoking questions go ahead, David. well yeah. i i'd like you to define lead magnet for the listeners and what you've found to be uh, the most successful lead magnet for your clients well that's a great question and uh yeah not everybody knows what a lead magnet is but but you really do. Uh, you if you get if you get mail if you get mail in your mailbox, there's a really good example of it. it was back in the day they used to, Columbia House used to send. I can I'll give you these albums these these CDs or these albums for a penny, and so you you send in this coupon, and then you start you start receiving this. Uh, you know, you start, you, you'd get your favorite albums and stuff, but then they wouldn't stop. They keep coming and coming, and coming. It's it's like a continuity plan, but that, that little coupon thing, that little offer is a, is a lead magnet today. Usually it's, it's a lead magnet is, is a online anyway, is a report or a video or a, uh, a special offer of some kind that an expert like me would offer offer uh in exchange to it it solves a problem a specific problem and and I give that either for free or uh in exchange for their email address so that gives me that gives me permission to uh to uh follow up with them and and market them and bring them into my fold so perfect examples of and there is no perfect lead magnet but the best lead magnets are um are simple. They are solving a specific problem that the your ideal customer has. Okay, like uh, it's not just happiness. That's too broad, you know. But finding finding your soulmate now that's that's something. If I can give you a a, a free resource guide on how to find your soulmate step by step, now that might be a good thing, uh, or. Uh, weight loss is a, is another really super broad health. You know, health is a, is a super broad thing. Uh, but if if I had a, a checklist of things of a new routine that if you started in the morning, if you did this for 28 days uh, and you ate these foods, you, 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 you rose uh, and you ate within 30 minutes and you ate this certain kinds of food and you had this much rest and you had this kind of activity for this amount of time, uh, 
that would be a good example of a of a, a checklist kind of or a resource uh, lead magnet that someone who is looking to reduce weight or improve their their sleep habits. So it goes on and on. It really depends on the kind of problem that you're solving that your problem that your uh, your ideal audience has. Uh, but they they come in many forms. A lot of a lot of them are videos, right. uh, podcasts, podcasts. Guesting on a podcast can be a lead magnet. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's definitely a lot of them. And what yeah. you see in the process once you get so the problem is people getting leads, right? Then is it are you seeing as much difficulty of converting the leads, or is it more getting leads in your opinion from what you've seen when you talk to other entrepreneurs, coaches, solopreneurs, or other businesses? Yeah, well, good question. My, uh, I have a, a mastermind group in clients, and they came to me because they were intrigued by it. They, they knew that they had to have a lead magnet, but they didn't know where to start. And where you start is, who, who are you serving? Who is your customer? Who is your ideal client? Number one. And so I take them through that thought thoughtful exercise uh and then then i take them through okay what problems do they have what keeps them up at you know what's at 3 a.m when they wake up you know what what is it It, it, what really keeps them awake and can i solve that and so i take them through that process uh it's that clarity of who i serve that leads them to the problem most Many, I won't say most, many people have problems knowing who their ideal customer really is. And that's why I work with with um, coaches and solo entrepreneurs and businesses who who have a pretty who who have a business already and they're already servicing because they have a they have a better chance at uh, at being able to use uh, lead magnets to bring more of customers like that into their fold. Uh, but I do do a lot of coaching to help them get clarity on who it is that they're servicing. And a lot of times they, they're way out, way, way down the road uh, with uh, they've got all, they got webinars, they've got products they've already built. They've got all kinds of things. And so we, we, we kind of take a step back and look at that and say, okay, who does this serve? Oh, by the way, this, this part serves this, this kind of client and this part serves this kind of client. So let's, let's separate your product so that it gears to the one that's that that you that lights you up the most and uh, gives them the most benefit. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good, David. Yeah, so, so getting getting clear on it is is getting clear on who they serve is the number one issue. So I'm curious. When did you start your podcast? And uh, you know what uh, what kind of format do you have? And do you utilize your podcast as a lead magnet? I use my, well, first of all, when did I start it? I started in May. I'm, I'm recording, uh, I think episode 29 this week and I do a weekly show. It's an interview show. Uh, I plan to do solos and smaller, uh, like pop-up podcasts on specific as a lead magnet for specific topics. Like one of my topics is the five minute I'll teach you the whole process of doing a lead magnet in five minutes. And I'll take you through the whole thing. Uh, and that will be a lead magnet. Um, the reason I started was, was because of my fear of being visible. I was, I had a fear of being visible 
uh, because of my full-time job. I didn't want to interfere with that. I didn't want to jeopardize uh, my my security there. But nonetheless, I'm at I'm at the at, at the point where I want to um, I want to transition into my retirement. And frankly, I love coaching, and so I want to do that full time and my music. I want to play play music. I'm a drummer and a singer, and I've got a rock and roll band, and that's what I want to do. I want to coach and and play rock and roll. Um, so my uh, my one of my mentors said, "How come you're not visible?" And I explained why. And another mentor came and coach and said, "Hey, you were on my podcast a few uh, last year, two years ago. How come you're not podcasting?" And I went, "Okay, okay, okay. So now the time is to be visible." So I kind of did it out of spite and just to challenge myself and to go into a place where I wasn't comfortable uh, and just launch a podcast. And I use it for free coaching. So. I'm, I'm through the through my expert guests. I'm coaching my clients and my listeners, and I'm also learning too. So it's also a huge, huge networking advantage. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I've I've learned, and I look at, at who you've you've interviewed. Uh, it snowballs once you once you once you um, interview the cool guy in the house or the cool guy in the street. Keep going, then, yeah. Then, and 14 years later. I've, I'm growing an empire. So that's the exciting yeah. part of a power of podcasting yeah. is I'm about to release that. So Paul, where's the best place to go and find you on your podcast and also your business? Where can they go? Well, start with leadmachinegrowthshow.com. Uh, there you can find uh, everything about me. Uh, you can find my offers there. You can find out, you can check out the the amazing guests that I've had on. I I've actually have a an AI series of, of guests I've been been interviewing and and keep and continue to interview uh, to keep abreast of that because AI is is part of everything we do in life now and uh, I know some pretty amazing people who are harnessing it for their marketing and for their podcasting I just uh, I just interviewed Crystal Profit the other day of the Profit Podcast oh, wow. we, we talked a little bit about about AI and and how that can amplify your content creation and and help you actually i'm using ai ai in my coaching to help discover more about who our ideal clients are so i take our my clients through a process to to do the research we use the the chatbot to do the research to uh to uh reveal some of those things that we never knew about our ideal clients so it's pretty exactly so yes the lead machine growth show it's it's www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com we appreciate it, Paul. Great stuff. All right. Okay. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Tracy Poisner. And we're going to talk about something really, really important. She's from Undeletable Dad. And that's when a separation happens. It's not a really good separation. You have children and the mother and father are not getting along, especially when the father wants to see kids. Isn't that true, Tracy? That's where things go really bad, really fast. Well, anytime that that there's a kind of really acrimonious uh, separation or divorce where there's like high conflict, that's where things go bad really fast. And um, I I talked to a lot of guys who were not expecting to be kept away from their kids, uh, either because the mom just like won't answer the phone, won't answer the messages, won't come to the door when it's supposed to be time. But 
also starts to say things to the kids to really put down the dad um, in front of them so that they get a strong impression that, you know, mom is not happy with them if they want to spend time with dad. It's not a good thing for them to have to navigate that. So that can come up really quick. It definitely can come up quick and it happens, especially when one side is really angry with the other side. And there really became a a tough separation where one person might want to work it out in a lot of ways while the other person doesn't want to work it out. And the children end up in the middle. Explain more of that, too. Well, the, the children are always going to be in the middle because you you can divorce your spouse, but you don't ever get to divorce your mother or your father. And they, often the person who's looking for some kind of ammunition in this you know, battle between a husband and wife or between partners, they know that the most profound way that they can hurt that person is by like taking away the love, the affection, um, the time with them, the influence that they can have, their ability to raise them. It's a very, very powerful weapon. And unfortunately, people use it freely. They, they totally do. And they don't, they don't, they put the kids in this conflict together. How do you help dads when this situation happens? Because a lot of times the father's not thinking well either, right? They make yeah, mistakes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not just the mother that's the issue. We're not here to bring that up because there are fathers that make bad decisions. And I can say at one point I did it one time too, because we are more and more thinking about the relationship, not the children because we're either upset we either want to get even or worst case scenario we want to be free and the other person doesn't want to be free so what what do you think dads should do in a situation where they really need to see their kids and it's it's just not working out with mom at this point yeah you need to be proactive and you need to get stuff happening like immediately i think too many you know, and again, I want to reiterate, we're talking about dads because my business is working with dads. It's not because I don't think that this happens to moms. It does. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of moms who are being kept away from their kids. It, that's a real thing. Um, my specialty is helping dads because I understand the energetics of how it works in this kind of dynamic. And I'm I'm not an expert about how to help moms when the dad is the one who has the primary custody and the dad is the one who's kind of um, making these kind of boundaries that are so hard to get through. But I think it's a, it's a huge problem to wait too long to, to start peddling and putting things in place. There are so many ways to be staying in touch with your kids, even if, even if the, the mom is getting in the way and you just have to start engaging with things like, like email videos, messaging, using the mail system, um, you know, uh, showing up at school, going to public events. Sometimes, you know, it feels awkward to go to those places where you don't feel particularly welcome. But, you know, dads have to start engaging, you have to engage with the school, you have to engage with the parents of your kids, friends, you have to be, be visible and be around and not think, I'm going to stay in the wings and just let this boil over because it doesn't tend to to go that way. It doesn't go well. 
And I think that's the mistake is even if mom's not involved, use all of those areas you talk about. Make sure you're texting, make sure you're calling, make sure you're talking to their, their, everyone involved in their lives so that they understand it's not me that it's happening to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think, you know, you want to be like not a stalker, like you don't want to be harassing but you have to be there in a very, very steady, rhythmic way. And I talk to dads a lot about, about the importance of rhythm in terms of making your kids understand how reliable you are, that when you do something at the same time every day or at the same day every week, that they can really integrate inside of themselves that this is as regular as the you know rising and setting of the sun. My dad always shows up on Wednesdays in my inbox or whatever it might be right that you're you're respecting the idea of being very very regular without being harassing and as you're sending these messages I, it's important to say that you're not saying things like why won't you talk to me or I don't understand what's happening why aren't you answering my calls like you have to be very cool in your emotions because the kids are already dealing with a high emotional situation if mom is preventing them from seeing dad or talking to him, then there's a lot of emotion going on in that household already. And it it only makes it worse for them now when they feel torn in two directions of trying to make both their parents happy who don't agree. So you want these messages to be very one-way messages of love, support, that I see you, I'll never forget about you. Here I am, I'm here again every week. I'm here, just, you know, patience and persistence patience and persistence and how quickly should you take legal action in a separation if if the if you're not able to see your children yeah immediately i mean if you're not able to see your children that has to happen immediately and there are a lot of things that you can do by yourself i want to just give a little shout out to a facebook group called pro se dad i'm not involved with them at all but they do amazing work to help dads represent themselves um, in court which is not as terrible an idea as it might sound of course it takes a lot of time but it's not a terrible idea Um, you want to make sure that you join up with some kind of support community where you're going to get lots of these good tips where you're going to hang around dads who have been around the block and they can tell you what's coming around the corner that you can't see so i have one undeletable dad on facebook but there are a lot of other places that you can find um good support i would stay away from groups that are heavy on the whining and try to find some that are you know focused on solutions 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 all right we appreciate it thanks again for stopping by best place people can go find information is go where undeletabledad.com All right. Thanks again, Tracy. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and The Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of The Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. We get to talk to her again and some really exciting news as well. So thanks again, Kim. Yeah, nice to see you, Neil. I am so excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Meg Meeker, who is a global leader on child-father relationships, parenting in general. She's had over 5.5 million downloads on her Parenting Great Kids podcast. It's phenomenal. She's sold over a million books. 
She is who I want to be when I grow up. Welcome, Dr. Meeker. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here. So I'm so excited. The movie, the, your book first came and then the movie, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And um, what it's doing now is even bigger and greater, but, mm -hmm. but it's so good. And fathers do play such an essential role in a daughter's life, a son's life as well. But man, those girls, right? Yeah. And I was, I was looking at a program that you have that's available on your website that probably all dads should do. And one of the things you say on there, you say that, that fathers should be the man they want their daughters to marry. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's kind of intimidating for fathers, but you're absolutely right. You know, fathers, I think, beat themselves up over what they're doing or not doing. And they think about what they need to say or not say, or, you know, how much money they should make or what kind of a home or what they need. But really what a daughter wants is for her dad to um, know her heart and meet her needs and meet her love needs. And when a father can actually um, affirm his daughter and show affection to his daughter and give attention to his daughter, that's what really cements them together. And that becomes such a big part of who she is that as she grows older, she gravitates back towards that connection again. And so, you know, we always seek out what we know, not what we want. Right. And that's why girls who are abused marry abusers often. But girls who had great dads um, look for good men. And so that's why dads need to really be that good role model and have that deep connection. And so that's also challenging with a lot of only uh, single fa parent families now and where the father's trying to be involved in so many ways. Yeah, it's such more of a challenge. I'm, I'm soon to be a divorcee. And it's like, it's a it's a challenge, you know, to build the relationship back up after having to go because the relationship didn't work. What recommendation do you give to fathers that are, you know, single dads, you know, meaning like they only see them certain times? How do you build that relationship so that they can see that they're still a great role model in their life? Absolutely. I think that single dads, divorced dads, dads mean, need to be more patient and you need to look farther out in the future. You're, you may not arrive at the relationship you want and certainly can have with your daughter when she's 16 or 17. It may take you till she's 25 because you're factoring in so many other things, the pain of a divorce, what ex-mom is saying about dad, so on and so forth. It's very complicated. But single dads need to know a couple things. You absolutely 100% can have a great relationship with your daughter. Maybe not a 15. She may be hostile and thorny and whoever. But that's not who she's going to be when she's 22 or 25 because she'll develop her own relationship with you. And you need to never, never, never give up. Because one of the things that happens is that dads who are divorced get pushed aside. They feel they're not important. Their daughters don't want them. They don't like them. They spew fire at them. And so dads shrug their shoulders and go, I give up. Never, never, never do that. Because your daughter always wants you. She just doesn't know it yet. And she always needs you. She just doesn't know it yet. So hold on. You need to, you need to be able to hold on longer than a married dad, but you can mm. absolutely raise a great daughter and have a great relationship with her. 
I love that. You know, in the movie, which they had to come up with a storyline because your book isn't a story. Your book is the most wonderful advice ever. And so they had to come up with a story. But it seems to me that it really hit those points that you're just talking about. And what we talked about with be the dad that you want your daughter to marry, you know, whatever, everything you've said today uh, seems to just come through that movie. Do you feel the same? Were you happy with how it turned out? I was very happy. Um, I wish that it, um, I wish the relationship would have been deeper, but that's hard to, that's hard to create visually. I don't create visual arts. I do writing and I see a daughter interact with her dad in real life. I see the tears. I see the the hugs. I see everything, but I think it depicts it very, very well. And one of the things that I think is really good, A, is it allows dads to see how huge they are in their daughter's lives that they don't believe. Dads just don't believe it. And then secondly, the influence that a, a really good dad can have over his daughter. And also it, it really shows how a father can be doing what he thinks is best for his daughter and then realize it's really not what she wants or needs and turn the corner and get in the right direction. Um, and that's what happens with the father in the movie, the main character, um, trying to give his daughter something that she really doesn't want or need. And then a mentor shows him how to do it and he turns a corner and it's then, and then you see the relationship really start to, to thrive. And that's the thing that you never know what's going to happen in that relationship and how you, every, everything we deal with for people and human beings, I think we have to have those conversations. We have to really develop those relationships because we don't, it's, it's a problem, anything, because we're, we're rubbing off on so many people every day when we interact. And especially with our children, when our kids see how we act, that's how they're going to act. And so it's so important to never give up as I love that point. Never. So never. And to really understand that it's not too late. I think that's what a lot of fathers right now are, are thinking. It's not too late, especially when they're teenagers. They're not going to be the very best. But you just got to be there for them. And they'll remember that. They'll not only remember it, they'll rely on it because dad is the one who gives them in a very real way, daughters, a sense of security and safety and protection for a daughter to know dad has her back. Even if she thinks he's being a jerk right now, that's huge because her thinking dad's a jerk. It's going to go away. Okay, it's just, it's going to go away, particularly if you stay the course and you act like a, a pretty decent guy because your daughter needs you. But dad doesn't need his daughter, but he forgets that a daughter needs him. And I always tell dads, every woman takes one man to a grave. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's often not her husband, it's her dad. Because your dad is your dad is your dad. A husband isn't your dad. Um, you know, your coach isn't your dad, your brother's not your dad, your dad is your dad. And dad always has a capital D. So dad can either choose to stick with his daughter and work things out over time, or he can walk away because she feels he doesn't need it. But when he does that, her heart breaks in two, no matter what she acts like or says, or runs away or whatever, even a runaway daughter 
if she believes her dad has abandoned her, why in the world should she ever come back? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty powerful and so true. You know, and I think too, as parents, we have this vision of what our kids are going to grow up and do. Mm -hmm. And certainly the dad in the movie had that. He yes. had a vision. And, but so often the visions that we have for our kids, you know, we have to remember that they're individuals and they will be adults and making their own decisions and have their own vision. Do you see that a lot where people are trying to uh, inflict their vision on their kids or yes. disappointed in their kids for not following their vision? I see it in very um, enthusiastic, hardworking, conscientious parents. They, they, they really sort of craft a lifestyle and a path for their child that they believe in with all their heart is best for their child. You know, every father wants their daughter to go up and to have wonderful children and a great career and a wonderful husband and all these things. And that's wonderful. But they have to realize that the path that she may need to take isn't necessarily the path that you desperately want to carve for her um, because it isn't good for her. You, you know, you kind of need to do it together and to have the freedom to say, you know, my daughter's really good at this and she's not really good at what I'd like her to be good at. And that's just fine. Because if a daughter feels her dad needs to get her into a certain lane in life, she begins to feel unbeknownst to dad that she needs to step in that path in order for her dad to continue to love her and accept her. She's so desperate for his love and acceptance. So that's a lot to put on a daughter. Um, so don't do that, but just sort of let your daughter's story unfold and help her along the way rather than select her lane and throw her into it and push her along it, which is what the dad was trying to do. Oh, that's great. And so now you're excited, not just that it's on Pure Flix, but where else is it debuting the film? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's um, Great American Media. Excuse me. Great American Media. It's premiering tonight at eight, Monday 21st um, at um, eight o'clock Eastern time. And it is doing so because it was very popular on Pure Flix last year. And so I'm thrilled that it's going to continue to have an impact because really my heart my heart is to help every single father out there, whether he's in prison, out of prison, making $40 million a year, it doesn't matter, to help him know that he's got what it takes to have a great relationship with daughter. And he just needs a little bit of tweaking and a little bit of help. And that's what I want to do. And I've also started some online group counseling with fathers, which is fabulous. All right. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Best place for you to find information on you is go where? Meekerparenting.com. All right, guys. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and uh, the Love is Podcast, guys. Take care. One. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guests today. Yes, I am doing great, Neil. Thank you. I hope you are too. I am excited about our guests. I'm excited about what they're doing. Sean Olson and Jason Brown, uh, director, producer, award-winning people. They've done so much. I'm crazy about their studio, the, the Cold Hire Studios. What a great, unique thing that they have going. And they've got this incredible movie coming out 
that is sort of home alone meets Ernest goes to camp. A couple of my favorite all-time movies. I can't wait for it to come. And so guys, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. All right, yeah. fantastic. So uh, first, I'd love to hear about your studio and and then how the movie plays a part in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Caught Our Studios is a Christian fan on a movie studio. Um, so we're owned by over 5,000 Christians all across the United States, um, you know, that have invested $100 or $10,000, right? So they actually own the studio in every project that we do. Um, and so we're not really a production company. We're a production community. And so all of us got together and made this film. And Camp Hideout really is the tip of the spear uh, on our first family film that just is is built to go and entertain kids, um, to have good, ethical, safe values. Um, and so we're we're really, really, really excited about it. You know, you're right. It has those elements of Home Alone and Ernest Goes to Camp, a lot of physical comedy. Uh, and so we think we think it's, it's going to be a movie for all ages and they're going to have a really good time seeing it. Fantastic. Uh, guys, so uh, Sean, how do you guys, how do you and Jason connect? How did that happen? So uh, I uh, I directed a couple of movies, uh, Max Winslow and the House of Secrets and Freddy. And Jason saw those movies and reached out to me and said, hey, I've got I've got a summer camp movie. Um, I'd love for you to take a look at it. And I read the script. And to me, it just hit home real strong because I grew up going to summer camp. And, um, you know, it had all these fun elements, the home alone. And, you know, there was also, you know, an element of, um, you know, a learning experience for our lead character, something, you know, where he's changing and, and it was just, you know, all the way across the board, it was just super fun. And it was just something that I really like gravitated towards. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I mean, you've got this crumungeon of a guy who owns the camp. You've got this compassionate, wonderful guy who uh, who is running the camp. You've got this um, juvenile delinquent, this kid who's gotten in trouble for stealing, can be in a detention center somewhere or has to go to camp instead. It's like all the elements put together with these robbers and, and everything going on. It had to be a fun script to read, certainly a fun movie to do. And then you got Christopher Lloyd, from Back to the Future, we all know, and Corbin Blue from the High School Musical and the other millions of things that he's done. And uh, it had to be so fun to make. What was the process like making the film? I mean, it was incredible. Like, you know, working with those two, you know, especially when I when I found out Christopher Lloyd was going to be a part of the movie, we were we were scouting our locations and and everything. And it was just like, what better person to kind of bring to life that character? He's such a larger than life figure. He is like the kindest, you know, person to work with. And like Corbin Blue, the same thing, like working with him. Um, he's the type of guy who meets everybody on the set, knows all their names. And, um, you know, it's just he's a great mentor for our younger cast as well. And so there was like a parallel between like his character and then him in real life as far as mentoring like the younger people. So it was it was a complete blast. Like we just we had a great time. That sounds like it. And it's the, putting them all together, right? Getting them all on set, how that works together. How do you build that kind of camaraderie to make sure that the cast works out really well? I mean, it takes, I'll oh, go ahead, Jason. No, I was just going to say, I was going to kind of throw it your way, Sean, in the sense that I think it takes a really good director. 
right? Because the director is the captain of the ship on set, and Sean has a, a great knack for storytelling, but he also has a great knack for working with kids and actors. Um, you know, so I think it starts there, and it, the culture kind of permeates through the entire set. Um, at the end of the day, we just had really good people, right? We had a, a really talented cast um, that that was giving, right? They were giving to each other. We had a really talented crew, uh, Jennifer Badger and our stunt coordinator. I mean, we had some crazy stunts on this movie, uh, you know, that the kids were doing. I, I will say we probably had way too much fun making the movie, Sean, because, you know, we would we would say, oh, we got to try that, right? Or, hey, we got to test that zip line and make sure it works, though. So, you know, the producers, we, we got to have a lot of fun as well. But, you know, it was it was really fun, you know, to make sure, you know, all the you know, all the circus got underneath the tent at the same time and uh, it came together. So but I'll, I'll say Sean had a, a big part in making sure that this thing, you know, went off without a hitch. Yeah, well, Sean's a talented guy, so I'm sure it was wonderful working with him and Jason, you too, you, you guys. Uh, it is amazing how the leadership has so much to do with the culture, right? With what happens on the set and and how happy people are and how much fun you have together. And But all of that put together has made not just a great film, but a great message. So what is it that you're hoping people get out of this film? John, you want that one? Uh, yeah, I'll take that one. I, <laughs> I'm like, should we go? Um, I, I think, you know, there's there's that message of it's never too late, you know, and our, our Noah character as, you know, he's a juvenile delinquent. He's stealing, he's working with these bad guys, everything, everything that he's doing is in the wrong direction and he feels completely alone. And, you know, he comes to this camp and he realizes that, you know, there are people there that will support him and help him. And, you know, it's about family. It's about, it's never too late to ask for help um it's you know people have your back it's about unconditional love uh i mean there's so many aspects to you know because it's not just a home alone type story it like the the themes play such a huge huge part in this film and i think that's what makes the movie different from other films you know is is the thematic aspect of it the lessons to be learned from corbin blue's character jake yeah absolutely i, I think i would i would go on top of that and say that I think if you're a family that just wants to go and have a good time, you want safe content. Um, you want a theatrical experience where your kids are going to laugh. You're going to have a good time. But at the end of the day, your kids are going to walk out and they're going to learn something about loyalty. They're going to learn something about friendship. They're going to learn something about unconditional love at the same time of, of just having a hilarious time. You know, I think that's what I hope that that people get out of this film and, you know, and also see the faith elements that are that are undertone throughout the movie. And that is the part. And then now it's the challenge of just going out and getting the word out, right? And getting in as many places. But it's amazing to see Christian-based films and how they're building this community anytime a film comes out. Have you guys been working with a lot of churches and stuff with the release of this film? Yeah, we've uh, we've talked to a lot of churches. We've had some great influencers. And it's amazing the amount of people that want to be involved. Um, I think there's a, a movement right in culture right now where people are very nostalgic, right? They want things of the past. They want it, you know, they want the, the Andy Griffiths, right? They want that type of uh, good content. And I think you're seeing that in the box office. And so we're really excited about it. And, you know, we've had a lot of people who just wanted to help the movie because they think it's a good movie and they think it's a great cause. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And on top of it, you have a podcast that is fantastic. The Worst Day, Best Day podcast, which is also great. Everything that you seem to be doing with your studio, like what, what is your next project or what are the overall goals for the studio? 
Well, the overall goal of the studio is is to, to to really just make films, right? They go and spread the gospel. And so that's our underlying mission. And we're really, really, really excited about our next film. Uh, we optioned the life rants of uh, Ann Byler. And Ann uh, is the founder of Auntie Ann's Pretzels. Um, and so global brand, uh, you know, I always joke and say she, she calls me to put on 10 or 15 pounds because every time I walk by a mall or an airport, my kids will not let me pass it without buying a couple buckets of pretzels. Uh, and they're so good. Uh, but Ann has a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And so we're excited to take her life story uh, and turn that into a movie. She's an author and a speaker and, and really out there in the world and, you know, has a lot to say. And so we think people are really going to resonate with her story. So you're in that process of casting that stuff, right? Not yet, right? Who's going to play who? And uh, what? Right now we're in pre-production. We're uh, in the script phase. And so we're hoping to get that one done. And hopefully we'll go into production probably in the next 12 months on that on that film. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, I guess the, 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 anything that you guys learned from this film that, that was different than other films, either of you kind of want to share that, the, you know, cause we all learn something new every time we have an experience. Wow. That's a good question. <laughs> I always joke and say that, you know, after I make a movie, I literally say I'm never making another movie again because it's so hard and it's so time consuming. But then at the end of the day, you know, that fades and you actually get to see the finished product. And then, you know, the, the fire gets reignited. And that happens every time I make a movie. And so, you know, we wanted to bring that experience to, to other people. And that's why we created the crowdfunding studio. But, you know, I, I think for me, it's patience and, and movie making is a team sport. Right? It takes a lot of people with a lot of different talents and a lot of different, um, you know, things that they bring to the table to make a film. And I think this movie parallels that because all these kids bring different talents. They bring different perspectives. And those are the things that I think our society needs today, right? Are different perspectives and working together. And so I think it's a great commentary on, on what's going on. And Sean did a really good job with that. Yeah. I just, I, I think that the big takeaway for me was to have such a great support system. You know, you can't, just like Jason said, you can't do it alone. And both Jason and Phil provided such a fantastic support system for the movie. They brought in a lot of really, really good talent um, behind the camera that, you know, worked really, really hard to make this movie. A lot of people put a lot of heart into the movie and it really, really shows. And so, you know, I, I, my hats off to, to both Jason and Phil for, for providing that you know, that background, because if you don't have that support in making a movie, it's, it's really hard. I mean, well, it's, it's hard, not, hard, but it's yeah, really no hard. kidding. Yeah. Well, and it's not just the support, but it's really great quality support. Yeah. Christian movies have changed so much. It used to be, they used to be kind of cheesy and now, <laughs> now they are as good or better than anything else that you're going to see in the theaters. And I love that. I love that that uh, Christian movies have come so far. Christian programming in general have just come so far. It's something that I've always felt like, you know, we're, we're doing it for the Lord. It should be the best. Like we should be giving the best that we can in every area, including movies and TV shows. And so now it's wonderful to see. How does it feel to be part of that, to be part of the, the big shift in, in Christian entertainment? It feels pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I'll echo what Sean says. You know, it feels really amazing to to be part of a culture shift. Um, you know, we get to do our part. 
So yeah, we're really, really, really excited, you know, about the journey. Fantastic. Now, Kim, you have a quick question with only amount of time about love. You can try to slow speed that question up so we can get that love question to find out from those two. Okay. All right. I'll do it really fast. So you guys, I lived this year, this eat, pray, love kind of a year. I lived in Haiti uh, looking for the true meaning of love. I used 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind as a road.